Welcome again to In Transit, a podcast bringing you into the world of the East African creative scene. This week, we'll be diving into the art of world building and its place in Ugandan film. I spoke with Malcolm Bigimanyo, a Ugandan filmmaker first and musician. Through our two-part discussion, he broke down the differences he finds between the two art forms. So I guess primarily I'm a filmmaker. Okay. And that's my the thing that I've been doing for the the longest time and still the way that I identify most. But I've only recently kind of gotten into making music. Full disclosure, this interview was taken several months ago, as Malcolm has since transitioned away from the Mr. Mankwa Monica. At the time, he described how his experiences doing both music and film in his hometown has informed his ability to create authentic work that captures his perspective on Kampala and all the idiosyncrasies that most stand out to him. Um, there are people who can just like make films by themselves, but I guess most filmmaking projects do end up being like super collaborative and like largely involving a bunch of different people, artists and technicians. And the last film project that I worked on was um, it's about this dancehall artist, but in making the web series and making the mockumentary the way we did, we had to work with so many different people and people who weren't necessarily filmmakers, but there's so many different like moving parts that I found when I make music, for example, they're usually much smaller, I feel, units and groups of people that are required to do a thing. I feel like it's easy, quite easy to like make a jam in your room and actually make like a really like great song in your room. Whereas I don't think it's as easy to make a really like compelling film in like your bedroom. Even if that probably is possible with some like level of creativity, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I found like the creative threshold for those things is a bit different. I find with like filmmaking, just a certain making films at a certain standard, you do have to have a minimum of like maybe six collaborators at a time, at least just as like a bare minimum. Right. Um, so I do find like there are some like I guess art forms that almost just demand collaboration. Right. Well, it's not even a thing of like you're good at the thing at collaborating. You just kind of have to. Right. Even though I do know filmmakers who like do everything themselves, essentially. There's a guy called Luke Manali who made a film called Bad Mexican. It was a short film that um, was going around the festival circuit a, a, about a year ago. It was really funny, but also as a film in and of itself. But when the credits started to roll, you start to realize, oh man, written and directed by, shot by, edited by, special effects by... And it was a running joke in the credits that every time, you know, this film show, this film runs, it's just this guy doing all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that thing maybe is a bit limited in like how the scale to which you can do things by yourself. Right. And you do reach that point where you have to like incorporate more humans and more people doing things. And do you feel that you have access to skilled and apt collaborators? around you is there a healthy number of filmmakers in uganda i do find that yeah man there definitely are there are definitely a lot of people who are doing who are shooting things you know at like at the bare minimum of that there are a lot of people who are shooting things who are shooting photos wedding videos uh, but there are also a lot of people who are shooting films and um i find that the kind of films that i want to make and the kinds of things that i want to do i do often find myself having to just like um, okay, I'll give you an example. I, I was making this mockumentary and I kind of wanted to show the rough edges of making a film, right? Right. So whereas usually you, 
you try to like polish the thing with um without seeing the lapel mic on the person who is speaking you try to like really conceal it and make it like you know yeah. i encourage the sound designer to like put it out there in a way that's kind of visible to kind of be seen while we're like while we're making up the person who is kind of going to do the interview and running the sound even before we call action just so we can get some of those like extra like little quirky things and right. i found it was it was a bit like i guess for the sound designer it was a bit like counterintuitive to do that you know because they're like yeah. man my training is to work in a certain way and to have you know to observe a certain standard yeah and yeah i found that i my expectation in, with most collaborations is that we are going to have to like renegotiate the way we work and renegotiate the the right. way that we do certain things in order to kind of get the things that we need to do. Yeah. But that also means for me that even when working with someone who isn't necessarily skilled, I'm also maybe taking that same perspective. I'm working with an actor who has never acted before, but maybe has a thing, a thing that I think might work for the thing, yeah. for the film. Yeah. We'll figure all that other stuff out, but my perspective is always that we will have to learn anyway. <laughs> like we'll right. have to learn and unlearn a bunch of stuff anyway in order to get what we need to. Yeah. So whether someone's so skilled that they are a bit inflexible in like doing the thing that I might be looking for when I'm directing a film or whether they're unskilled and maybe we have to kind of build those things from scratch. Yeah. I still kind of always expect that to be part of the process. It's a very uh, useful perspective to have especially in a place where the art forms are still growing and are still changing just because so much is in flux exactly and when i watch the when i watch the web series i don't get this sense that this is put together in a way that's without grasp you know what i mean it's very cohesive it's very you, you seem to have a grip on the vision of the work you know even in those little things that you're talking about that seem counterintuitive in practice i feel they gave the work character i connected very much to the world of the character oh man thank you Thank you, man. I was curious about that. If at all, an element of world building was something you gave conscious thought to. Hmm. I, I guess I think to some extent, no. I don't think it was a very like conscious thing, to be honest. Right. I think um, the the process of even making this thing was it started with just like really dumb music. I don't want to call it dumb music, but it still started with like with songs that were just like for fun, right? Yeah. But because I'm a storyteller, I was like, okay, I want to build some story around this. So when this song happens, this is what's happening. And this is who this person is, and there's a couple of things from before in life that I kind of just brought together, and I was like, okay, this is a name that I thought about at a certain point, and this is like a type of character I thought about at a certain point. It was like a gangster dancehall like figure, yeah. and I guess the story kind of led to the world kind of feeling more and more real over time. Just I guess the more that I ruminated over it and the more certain like the things that might seem real about that world are just like little unnecessary details about right. these like different characters and the things that they might go through and the things they might remember and the places they might have been. Yeah. And things that might seem like they don't seem particularly important to the story. I think those are maybe the things that might make people feel like, oh man, this feels like kind of a real world, you know? Yeah. Little anecdotes about, about oh man, um, my mom used to go through, used to see demons in the middle of the night and yeah. wake up and be like, oh my God, I saw some spirits, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like those are the things that, I'm, I might be talking shit because I also don't know and I think we all like experience these things differently, but I, 
assume at this point that those are the things that make that world feel real Fofo Condition is an annual compilation album presented by Tangaza magazine, showcasing the sonic diversity of rising East African musicians. The song playing now is called The Marathon by Karima John. If you like what you hear, you can listen to the rest of the album at tangazamagazine.com or by searching Fofo Condition on any of the major streaming platforms. And it, it might just be bad storytelling. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I, I only mean that in the sense of like I I I feel like when like when like sometimes it's like a very precise way to like effectively like deliver a story and tell a story and like and sometimes that way is very dramatic and overblown and very like yeah. and sometimes that way is very like precise and pinpointed and I was really fascinated by this like study I read about storytelling about how like children are often really terrible storytellers but like as people get older a certain part of their brain that's responsible for storytelling just like develops and becomes more sophisticated and it reminded me of kids how kids tell really dumb stories about their day and they include all these like unnecessary like right. details that yeah. they find interesting but aren't actually the point of the story yeah and and yet when people get older i feel like they become a lot more kind of like effective in how they like deliver their story deliver the points that matter to the story yeah yeah so i guess like to some extent also like including a lot of detail in the story that isn't particularly pertinent to where it goes and how it flows mm-hmm. is probably not very good storytelling but feels like good world building despite his modest self description malcolm is somewhat of an author in the art of world building I struggle to describe him as just a filmmaker or as an artist in the traditional sense. I would say that Malcolm merely doubles as the creator and embodiment of characters and the world they inhabit. He's responsible for the artist's profile dubbed Mr. Mankwa, a quote, Ugandan armed robber turned dancehall artist DJing in mostly gibberish in the early 90s on Saba Saba sound systems, who makes one album and disappears mysteriously. As a writer and director, Malcolm is also responsible for the mockumentary web series titled Who the Hell is Mr. Mankwa? that details the life and times of the Ugandan dancehall artist and thief from the early 90s as told by the people who knew him. Malcolm stars in the series as a young Mr. Mankwa, appearing only briefly in mock archived footage, posing as documentary B-roll. Despite the fact that his efforts in both art forms revolve around his own persona, the process remains largely collaborative. I take it you direct your own music videos as well that's been interesting actually no so okay. i what would usually happen is that the idea would largely be mine to send but i was working with i have two music videos out so far and both of them i worked with uh, the two people who've helped this project just like manifest into a reality um grace the producer also shoots and edits things uh, she directed the first music video and it's really largely because man directing and performing in the scene is a stretch. I felt it during okay. our shoot and it's such a stretch. And it's really cool also being able to work with people where yeah sure I have this like a modicum of an idea but just out of the virtue of that collaboration it turns into something that couldn't be that I couldn't make, you know? Right. It turns right. into something that I like 
like without the best of my abilities just couldn't make and yeah. i really like that when you when if you go to like the mr monkwa youtube channel you watch the web series and then you watch the music videos yeah the aesthetic of the music videos is quite different from the aesthetic of the, the overall aesthetic of the web series but that also just makes them feel so much more like real and authentic yeah that they're not just like re- repetitions of the thing yeah. but are still consistent enough it definitely still feels like Mr. Monka's world. It's not like a, I'm I'm now watching something by a completely different artist. But it's still a different touches that I, you know, yeah. I even me as me I, I wouldn't have been able to pull off. Alim Kamali shot who shot and edited the web series. Yeah. He shot and edited the second video AU Mr. Monka and that was we 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 just been shooting a whole other thing. We had some camera equipment and we were in a room with a green screen. We were like shit but uh, should be shoot <laughs> fuck yeah let's shoot that and that shoot i promise was like maybe two hours wow maybe two hours maybe two hours worth of just like jumping around it came up but very the well. edit itself took him like a good three months like a good like a while wow a while a while a while wow and but it was still very it was very very satisfying and really really cool yeah it's something that i again would not have been able to do man so it's i'm really blessed to have been able to you know have people really imbue themselves into this thing that that I created but is so much more than me now you know yeah briefly get into these people like how has your relationship with them come to be over time i take these are people that like these are your frequent collaborators so um so grace and i we knew each other before we worked on this but working on this is kind of how we kind of got to really really know each other and became friends and she's a filmmaker who was in Kampala at that point for some time and someone happened to let her know about the project and about what was happening and she was like yeah man we I, we know each other but we just never had that conversation you know yeah and um she saw it live so before anything was shot or whatever it was when i was still talking about what i wanted the thing to be but it wasn't yet a thing you know yeah and uh, in our conversations she she mentioned that she knew um of some funding opportunities and those funding opportunities kind of helped us develop the thing because they needed a treatment now and they needed a uh, plan and they needed a this and a that and a this and a that and I that see. really sped up the process of just realizing the thing that was still quite abstract in my mind yeah. but now had to be you know, on paper and presented and now suddenly there were timelines and suddenly there were deadlines and there was you know yeah and she was producing it alim kamali my friend also he came into the process a bit later than that but he'd been watching it for some time and um we'd worked on a few things together we started a business together last year and we'd been working on a few projects together where we realized we had a good working relationship and we could kind of bounce off each other and have a like a very interesting creative relationship that, that isn't like oh we agree with each other on everything yeah but where we're able to contend and create something that we're both proud of and when it came time to make this um it was just very easy for that to be the thing you know for that to be the unit and for everything else to go from there and are there other collaborators that are pivotal to the overall world Ooh, yeah man so many so like don't make me name names cuz now that will become a problem <laughs> but one time at least on the musical side i definitely love to big up my guy slickback Mm-hmm. Slickback is the producer who made most of Mr. Mankwa's initial music and he was a producer who made those fire beats that like when I played for the songs honestly that's the first thing they say is yo those beats are fire <laughs> and um Slickback is now he's a is a DJ touring in Europe now yeah. and producing and making things 
And uh, yeah, you should check him out, man. S-L-I-K-B-A-C-K. Actually, he's popped up on blogs and publications that I follow. Uh, like Resident Advisor, I think like Red Bull, um, Pitchfork. Like a few people are, are, are looking into into what he's doing and like the nyega nyega scene at large that's right it's very it's sometimes it's 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 a lot of work that just like pops very quickly you know right and that i think i feel from seeing a certain part of his journey was the case yeah and if you listen to his music it's very different from the mr monkwa stuff very true it's very 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 different i i and i i like the idea that maybe this stuff was kind of an exercise for him you know yeah a warm-up a way to just like just do something that he usually wouldn't that wouldn't be his main way of doing things i think to some extent it was how i felt about making videos that looked like they were from the 90s and looked like very intentionally crappy <laughs> yeah i think that's like and having having fun with it true, you know and having true. fun with those crazy zooms and with those crazy like forms of a certain time i think that's part of what he enjoyed about working on this this like 490 dance hall sound and um another person who was like pivotal was um wana benjamin wana so wana is he did the sound design for the film and um when i perform now he's still the dj that i work with and um yeah man he's been very present for very many aspects of that of the project very pivotal in like making them as dope as they've come across because man I will go ahead and say it myself. I think the sound design in the web series is the soundtrack at least and the, is so good. I agree. It's one of my favorite things about it. And it's, it's also because it's like, it, like I know that's not my like specific hand. You know what yeah. I mean? I can also stand back and be like, ah, what man? This guy killed thing it. Is nice. This guy killed you it. Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wrote most of that stuff without any idea of where the music is going to go necessarily with oh. you know, only very specific places. Yeah. It was that collaboration that helped it like have that third dimension that I think also helps maybe in some way make the world pop a bit. Very much so. Like I I'm very intrigued by this community that you're that you're surrounded by. It seems like some kind of support system that really enriches your work. It's so great, man. One day we'll make a movie. Woo! Yeah. It's <laughs> it's really That's something. The plan. <laughs> Is really something. My one day, one day, as an old man, as an old yeah. man, I'll, I'll, I'll come. It's very, very. It's a very interesting community. It, yeah. it is the world, but it's also a very interesting microcosm of it. Yeah. And um, yeah, and one day, as an old man, I'm just gonna make a documentary about this shit because I think we're living through a very interesting time. What is the most exciting part about it for you? Um, man, I've really found like. Because it's so terrifying, I found doing live performances very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. There's a, a part of me that I think I'm, 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 I'm quite confident in my filmmaking skills. I know they're not great, but I like it's, I don't worry too much about the quality of my films. But the quality of my music is still something that is very like much up in the air. Okay. So I find doing live performances very exhilarating because it's so scary. But at the same time, when you come out alive on the other side, you just want to do it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I have found that to be like, that's the most exciting part, man. It's not something that I anticipated or foresaw in my life, but here we are. It's the perfect plot twist. Describe the difference in performance experience between Nyege Nyege or the Underground Chaos or the spaces that like are much more 
fluid and experimental and maybe other spaces that you'll perform that like might not be as open-minded to something that's like not mainstream. Ah, man. I think sometimes it's just the crowd that differs more than anything. Yeah. But I found um, different crowds like the act for different reasons. I um, okay. I find that um, in the more like fluid experimental crowds, um, I think there's the fact that people might know me personally. Sometimes it will be the fact of, oh shit, this guy is doing the thing. What the fuck? Okay. And that creates a very interesting environment in which to do the things. Right. But I find... Um, I find also that in those spaces, they're a lot more diverse. And I mean that just in the sense that they're just more white people. <laughs> and um, I find that that diversity often means that um, the, re- the, reception of, the reception of the thing and the thing that people might like about the thing might not always be the same thing. Um, some of my songs have like a very like, have some like Luganda elements to them. I find, for example, when I perform in, in those more experimental spaces, it might be the fact of the gibberish. People finding mentioning that and finding that a lot more interesting. I find when I perform in more mainstream spaces, it's sometimes like the familiarity, but also the confusion that comes with, man, this is really weird. Right. Where um, the reception of the weirdness of it is very, very different in the experimental spaces. A lot of like really good Ugandan and African art often leaves our shores and is celebrated elsewhere, but isn't really yeah. felt and understood and doesn't make an actual impact in Uganda and doesn't make an actual impact to most Ugandan people. And yeah, man, I, I, I'm so much more interested in making something that has impact on Ugandans going forward in the future for kids to look back and be able to be like, yeah, that was a Ugandan, you know, that was our thing. That was yeah. a thing that added to our culture or reference to our culture or there is a much more maybe pop pop sentiment to that, mm-hmm. but it's also, yeah, man, the people must have the art, man. <laughs> the people must have the art, yeah. Join us next time when we'll be going over Malcolm's influences and how his uncanny approach to music birthed what would become his most unique undertaking. Full Full Condition is an annual compilation album presented by Tangaza Magazine, showcasing the sonic diversity of rising East African musicians. The song playing now is called Body by Ugandan singer C. If you like what you hear, you can listen to the rest of the album at tangazamagazine.com or by searching Full Full Condition on any of the major streaming platforms. This is a GB Mystical production.